Hi, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Broberman. Thank you for downloading our latest episode of Speech Bubble. Uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash speechbubblepod or follow us at speechbubblepod on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes under Speech Bubble. Don't forget to uh, rate and review our shows. Or you can visit our homepage at www.neversleepsnetwork.com to listen to our show. Anyway, this next episode was recorded, uh, I believe, in 2014. And it features Alice Quinn, who, as of the recording of this intro just got a job uh, doing videos and interviews for uh, Asylum Comics magazine. So she's a pretty big deal. Uh, she founded T-Dot Comics in 2008, and then uh, Quintessential Comics some years later, where she does uh, weekly or monthly video uh, comic reviews. So uh, she's she's a mover and a shaker in in the comic book scene in Toronto, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one on one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. This is your host, Aaron Broverman, and you're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast where we talk to the luminaries, the journalists, the artists, the writers, the comic historians, who all make up the Toronto comic book scene. With me today, we have Alice Quinn, Toronto's local comic book journalist. She runs T-Dot Comics for all your local Toronto comic book news and Quintessential Comics, where she does uh, video interviews and reviews and different things like that. So, welcome, Alice. Hey! Thanks for having me on your show, man. Yeah, man. it's It's so good to have you in, because... I first saw you, like, I don't know, just around the scene, probably at the comic book lounge, I would want to say. Probably before that. Probably before? Where do you think it was? I think, I think it's, I think it was before that, because the the lounge has been around for, like, maybe a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew before, I knew before that, because you were trying, you were like, Aaron, want to write for us? Want to, like, do stuff? And I'm like, I do, but, but I have to make a living. So, so I didn't, I didn't take you up on it, but I was like, you just sort of arrived because I was around in like 2003 at like the first Paradise show and I went to the first Fan Expo con for me. It wasn't the first one ever in 2003 and you weren't around. So you just sort of appeared and you started being like this crazy dynamo uh, individual who was doing all this comic journalism and you were like the first one to really sort of chronicle the scene of Toronto comics and stuff that that I remember. Man, all these all these listeners are gonna think I'm like the most amazing like comic deity goddess in Toronto. I love it. It's awesome. So, so yeah. So that's why I have you in. I want to talk about comics journalism. I want to talk about what you do. Uh, I want to talk about your perspective on comics. But I'm I'm gonna try not to like Trina Robbins you and do the whole like her whole punditry thing on women in comics and all that stuff. Yeah, man, I can't really speak for all the women. I can speak for myself. Yeah, yeah. But I usually just, you know, speak as a person from a person's perspective. Nice. You know. So what I usually ask first is, uh, so how did you how did you get into comics? What made you fall in love with comics? Okay, so I had a couple um, dalliances with comics when I was uh, an early teen. I picked up a couple issues, but I never really got into it until... Uh, Sin City came out in theaters, and I watched it, I told my mom to see it, because I was like, yeah, it's going to be rad, and she hated it, but I was, like, totally in love, and from that second, I was hooked. Um, what did you love about the movie? Like, what made you want to go see it? I thought the trailer was cool, so I went to see it, but what I really liked about it is, like, the, the movie itself has a real comic book feel to it. Like, all of, like, they pretty much took the, the comic and made it the storyboard for the movie. So it really has that 
um, cinematic field that's also, you know, it's conducive to the comic medium. So I read the comic after that, and I read um, all the other comics in the Sensei series, and I was like, wow, this is awesome! Comics are a great medium. I wonder what else is out there. I, I was at the Toronto Public Library every week, taking out a stack of uh, graphic novels the size of watermelons and... Just, just going through it like mad. Wow. So, like, what did you do before the whole comic thing? Like, what was I into before that? Is there anything <laughs> other than comics? <laughs> of course. But, I mean, you know, I, I, mean, I, I want to know like what is who is pre comic book Alice and who is now current comic book Alice. Um. Well, I, I got into comics around when I was like fourteen. Okay. Um. And shortly after, I worked in my first comic book shop at fifteen, which was pretty sweet. They paid me in comics. Highly illegal, but when you're 15, you don't care. You know? um, <laughs> I guess you're not going to mention the shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not around anymore. So what were they called since they're not around anymore? Um, it was called Series X. It was it was a really good experience. Um, they hired me pretty much when they knew they were closing down. Awesome. And they're like, we can pay you in cash, but we can pay you three times the amount in comics. And so I just ended up taking my entire paycheck in the comics. And I got some really cool pieces to my collection. I have like an original issue of Akira. Um, that I'm pretty proud of, <laughs> um, and some other pretty cool stuff, and that's that's really where I got um, my introduction to comics. But before that, I mean, I was I was really girly growing up, like really girly. I had my Barbie collection. I was really proud of it. I've always been an outspoken individual. Apparently, um, I didn't know this because you don't remember things when you're a kid, and yeah. then your parents tell you years later, being like, oh, by the way, did you know that before your birthday parties, you'd call up your friend's parents and ask them for specific Barbies? And I'm like, I cannot believe I actually did that. And I'm like, yeah, you did. So then, so you got into comics. Would, would they, were you picking out, like, what they would pay you in, or would they just give you a box and say, you no. have to read this? No, 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 no. They would, they would pick. They, yeah, okay. series X. I mean, I, I was there for, like, three months or something, and I was... 15, so I could. I don't think it was legal that I could work, but I just bugged them enough, and I was around enough, and I was like, hey guys, give me a job. So, they let me work there, and then they'd be like, you know, whatever, you can get paid thrice as much in comics, and I'd be like, alright, well this is my stack, I'm just gonna take this home with me. And yeah. I was I was thrilled. I was I was so happy, and my mom was like, that's, that's not right, and I was like, I don't care. You're at comics. Life is grand. I, I would get paid in comics, to be honest. Like, I don't care. I would get paid in People who have no idea what they have, they're just giving you, like, classic legendary comics and stuff. It'd be awesome. What were, like, I know when I was getting into comics, there were sort of two different periods for me. Like, I would get in, I got into the superheroes, and then, and then in grade 11, I met my math tutor, Neil, and he noticed that I had Kingdom Come on my table by Alex Ross, and he's like, oh, there's all these you should read. And at that point, he got me into DC, and he started giving me all of these seminal comics of his to borrow that I had no idea about when I was collecting comics back in, like, 95 and, and younger. Like, things like Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen and Marvels and, like, all the, like, you know, the books that changed you know, comic book history and that sort of thing. So when you were getting into comics, what were the books that sort of changed your perception of what comics could be and what they were? So, as I said, my first comic was Sin City. Um, and before that, I was reading a little Wolverine, some Spawn. Okay. I was I was really into Spawn. I was really into Spawn, too. I was like, yo, this, this stuff is awesome. Yeah. Um, just all those drapery folds, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know what the thing about Spawn is? The thing about Spawn is it's like the transition between traditional superhero and I need something a little more edgy with like Fox and like yeah. little stuff in it. Because I'm an angsty teenager and I, and I need to do some stuff. You know, that was my original sort of uh, Dark Knight back in the day, yeah. you know, before I got... Um, and I, it was it was weird for me because I had uh, I've always been a very big fan of the library system. So through the Toronto Public Library, through my high school library, I was able to pick up a bunch of graphic novels. And I started off with reading things like Watchmen. Like Watchmen was one of the first comics I read, and I was like, "What? <laughs> oh my god! Is every comic like this?" And then I was sort of disappointed for a couple months after that. But, you know, you get over those types of things. Um, so yeah, I, I started with that. Um, I read Fables from early on. 
So I started off with all the sort of off the beaten path, independent, non superhero type stuff. Okay. Um, and then I just I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, just because I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's for a lot of people. I don't think it's just for me, but it's the hugeness of the superhero universe and how there's so many comics. And even if you're starting at number one, it's a tie, and they and they're referring to something that happened previously within the universe in another title. Um, and so just the the enormity of the taking on a superhero and even if you know even if you're reading the new X-Men now, yeah. they refer to things that happened in the old X-Men. And while I tried to read some of the original stuff, especially when I first started uh, reading, it wasn't approachable, you know? I mean, as much as I loved the the Kirby and uh, Steve Ditto stuff uh, back in the day, it's it's a little dated, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a different style, and at the time I just wasn't into it. So I ended up reading a lot of yeah, just different like non superhero comics. Non superhero stuff. So, so like things like blankets and black hole and that sort of stuff. Yeah, thing. I read blankets like that. That was around the time when I read Watchmen. I read blankets. I read um, Fables. Uh, Why the Last Man? I was I was really I've always really been into like Vertigo and Image yeah, and Dark Horse. Yeah, I didn't get into, I didn't even know about Vertigo and Image until grade 11 when my friend introduced me to all these, all these like crazy mature, like seminal comics that I've been missing the whole time. And then Sandman became like my, my most favorite comic ever. I mean, Damon and Moore are my two favorite authors in any medium whatsoever. So then, after that, I'm like, well, what is Vertigo doing now? So I, I get your, I get your Vertigo fandom. I mean, from the very start, I was not super into superheroes, but super into comics in general, and I just, I, I could recognize right away that this is a really cool medium, and I can absorb really cool stories because I've always really been into reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and around that time when I started comics, I found I had read enough novels. But I hadn't read enough to get to like the literary heights of like Moby Dick, The Fountain, or any of those giant novels with lots of big books or verbosity. Yeah, verbosity. Verbosity. Yeah. There you go. With comics, you talk about like the medium and how attractive it is. What do you like about the medium, and what did you see in terms of like the possibilities of it, in terms of the form? I just felt like it added a lot of depth because not only are you, you know, hearing the the the, the characters' voices in your mind when you're reading them, but you're seeing them. Um, and there's this whole notion in writing of showing and not telling. Mm-hmm. As a writer, you totally get that. Yeah. Um, and with comics, you can do it all. Yeah. And you can tell all sorts of stories, and I just I felt. Like, that was just super attractive to me. Like, there's this whole other world of amazing stories that I can read, whether it be historical or biographical or superhero or sci-fi or action or anything. And so I was just like, yeah. Yeah. And I never got bored of it. You're you're (laughs) really interesting because you didn't really have to be converted from the notion that, like, comics are just superheroes. Like, you were already embracing the fact that like comics are a medium not a genre you know like but but most people come to it where it's like oh i don't want to read a comic it's all superheroes and stuff but you right off the way knew that there was like a depth and breadth to the type of stories that you can tell for comics so that's that's really cool um in terms of like i like they i mean the comics sort of have this sort of reputation and this sort of problem, and they're always talking about this issue of, like, how do we get girls to read comics? And, you know, that sort of, like, how do we get more female voices in comics? And, like, I think they think it, it's a bigger problem than it, than it actually is, because, I, I don't know, I see a lot of women reading comics all the time, and I see a lot of female professionals in comics now all the time. So... Is, was that really an issue for you in terms of in terms of like did you see yourself in, in the comics and like what did you think of like the portrayal of, of different people from a female perspective? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. I think like 
um, ideas in society move faster than the way we act. Okay. So there's this idea that oh, there there's there's no woman in comics. Oh, that you know we're but ideas are moving way faster than the actual industry, and that's for everything, yeah. right? You you hear I'm going to make a terrible comparison. You hear really old people talk about the cost of soap, or back in my day. And they have these preconceived notions, and it's like, no, the world has changed. Things are different. And I feel like it's sort of the same thing where people are like, you know, girls don't read comics. And it's like, no, things have changed. You don't realize that girls read comics, but they do. Um, And, I mean, for me, the fact that I am a semi-decent-looking person has always opened doors. And uh, it's always sort of boosted my confidence. So it really helped when I was getting into the industry and I was like, I want to write articles. I want to interview people. Let's just go out and do it. I'm a reasonably attractive person. So people talk with me and give me the time of day. And I just, I felt that in a sense, it opened more doors and it would, it enabled me to get more into the industry faster. So in that sense, it was pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. Like, I don't know, for, for me, like, it was like, where did this girl come from? Like, you just sort of exploded and you became ubiquitous at every place that I would go. <laughs> there would be Alice. And, like, you know, there there was sort of pre-Alice where, you know, it was, like, silence. And now there's, like, post-Alice. And I see, you ev- I see you everywhere. So let's get into, like, how you got into writing about comics and, you know, the start of T-Dot and Quintessential and that sort of thing. How, like... I, I don't know when it was that I first started seeing you, but suddenly you were all over the place and you were interviewing everyone. Yeah, that's sort of how it happened. And one day I was like, I like comics. I'm going to read them. The next day it's like, I'm going to take over. Um, so after Series X closed, I was really close. To, I mean, I still am close to the owner, uh, mm-hmm. the previous who owned it when it was open. The last owner, yeah. Yeah, um, and we had talked about opening up a new comic shop, and I had all these ideas, and I was like, oh, you know, we can do all sorts of really cool stuff, here's how we can sell product, here's how we can draw people in, and one of my ideas was like, oh, you know, we'll start off, and we won't be uh, an actual physical location, we'll do it through the internet. And so I just started uh, T.Comics in a sense to facilitate that and have an online location to gain interest in the store before we opened. Now, we didn't end up opening a store, but because I had that online location, um, it started out sort of as a forum, but, you know, people had a hard time starting conversations or whatnot, or they wouldn't go anywhere, so I moved it over, eventually I moved it over to a WordPress where um, contributors would write articles, and then Pardon me. Um, the whole idea was to connect the community. I really like just doing a couple things, just going to a, a, a one or two conventions. I could see that there were so many people who live in Toronto and make comics, and so many fans within the city, and so many people who, you know, uh, do storyboards in in their day job, but have a web comic afterwards, and people who, you know, oh, you know, they ink this stuff and they letter this, and and there were just so many people making comics in Toronto and there's so many uh, cool shops and signings and all this stuff that went on. I just sort of wanted, um, it was really after TCAP, after my first TCAP, I was like, yo, we need this online where we can do like this awesome convention with all these cool local people all the time. Yeah. I want a place where I can find all the events and check out the cool local artists. And so I didn't find one, so I made one. Wow. And that's awesome. what T.Comics was. So did you start like getting your friends to sort of contribute to it or like did you have did you have did you suddenly have to have like an editorial mission and be like an editor and like do yeah do that sort of stuff like what what was that like like taking on that responsibility so um it was really it was it was interesting and i had a lot of fun um but especially in the beginning um because like i said started out as a forum website um, and I, at that time, I was experimenting with social media to try to get the word out there and to get people to come to the site. Um, because when you're when you're 16 and you're trying to do something nobody's ever done before, and you're just like, I don't have any money, I'm just gonna throw all my time into this and be on Twitter for day. So that's, that's what I did. And through Twitter and through the the original forum site, I was able to find a lot of people 
and people be like, listen, I want to write an article. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then um, it came to a point where I had a bunch of regular contributors, but it's it takes a lot of time and effort to, uh, first off, get everyone to write articles. Just, like, email them ideas and be like, hey, guys, we should, we should totally do this top ten list, or hey... You know, I have this review copy of this. Can you can you guys write a review? Um, so that took a lot of time and management. Um, and the other thing is, like, people people want all the perks without putting in any of the work. Yeah. So they'd be like, I want to buy a up on your site and your about page. And I'm like, great. The thing we do is we do, if you write three articles, you get a bio on the about page. And they're like, oh, well, I don't want to write three articles. I'm like, well, then you're going to stick around. I don't need you on my about yeah. page. It's, I guess it's hard to motivate people when you can't motivate them financially. Well, the thing was, I was doing this in high school and university when I did not have money. Yeah, um, but sure. on the plus side, everybody I knew was in high school and university and didn't have money either. So we're all just doing it for fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and for, for passes to conventions and free comics. Yeah, that, but that was enough yeah, at yeah, that time. Yeah, but they're, but they're teenagers, right? So it's tough to like... Get them to buckle down and do stuff. Yeah, motivating everybody was definitely a challenge. Yeah. Um, but you know, at a time we we had posts up every day. You know, yeah. there there was a certain point where we were doing really well. Now, you know, everything's got a life cycle, mm-hmm. and the the event calendar really came into play. And that, that's my favorite feature of TR Comics, and that's where I feel like the community connects. It's like. Here's the you know, in-person events where you can go to the Big Island's holiday party, or you can go to Paradise's signing with Marvin Law, or any of those things. So then, so how does it work? Like, what would happen in terms of the, in terms of the event calendar and how it brought people together? Well, at first it was like people were asking, you know, oh, you see so much cool stuff. But first, I was doing all the articles, and it was like people were asking, oh, where do you where do you find all this information, and I, and I started linking to Facebook posts or whatever, but it just seemed beneficial to have a calendar on the website, so I found a calendar app widget. It's, it's, I've had a couple different apps and widgets, because it's it's actually a lot of work. It takes about a half hour to add an event post, because yeah. you got to add all the, the date and the time, and it's everything's in its specific field. You can't just copy-paste. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I did for a lot of the events just because it's like, listen, here's the, here's the information from the Facebook page. You can, you can RSVP there. You can find more information on their website. Um, but here's a summary of the event. Uh, and yeah, it was just, this is the way that, you know, people can find other people and people can hear about cool events. And it was, it was really cool going to some events and people come up to me like, thanks for letting me know about this. And I'm like, what? You came to my website and found out about this party? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. So, but then it evolved, right? Like, you were you were sort of going along with T-Doc Comics, and then I started uh, hearing about Quintessential Comics, and I know that Sean Ward was the guy who came up with the name for Quintessential <laughs> Comics. So, what was that evolution? I, I know that they're two separate things, but you you sort of went in that direction, and it became more interactive, more video centric, and you started interviewing some really huge people on these uh, these video things. Yeah. So, um, you know, this was back in probably around 2010, 2011. I'd already been writing articles for a, a, a couple of years. I had. Already established myself how long, somewhere. How long was T dot on? Um, we started around two thousand eight. Okay. Um, so you know it wasn't super established, but you know more people knew about it than I thought they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also it's a very niche thing. So like the numbers on the site weren't particularly good, but everywhere I'd go, people would know who I was. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. So I had like that notoriety, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna ride that wave. Why not? Um. And uh, my fiancé, Josh, who we've been together for a really long time, uh, he does video. And I was like, hey, can I just like, borrow your camera and do a video interview? Because I just read this amazing webcomic, and the guy's going to be at convention tomorrow. And like, my mind is blown. You know? Who was this? The guy with the webcomic? <clears throat> uh, my first interview was uh, Cameron Stewart. Oh, nice. Back in 2000. Yeah, I met Cameron. He's a good guy. He's cool. 
Yeah, um, and this was the the Wizard World uh, con, and this was the first one they had in Toronto. And the first day I went, it was like absolutely dead. It was the Friday night. Yeah, I remember. There was, there was like nobody there. It was like going to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum because you'd see all these celebrities alone but in their little booths, <laughs> and it was sort of like you'd pass them, and it was sort of like. Wait, those guys are alive, and you can get, you can get signed stuff from them. Yeah, that's what I tell people about Wizard Cons in Toronto. It's like, yo, you want to go talk to your favorite celebrity for a half hour? Go to a Wizard Con. They have no tra- means of escape. They're stuck behind that table, and nobody else is there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> of course, that is sort of the reason that you know Wizard doesn't do conventions in Toronto anymore exactly. because they weren't getting enough people. Well, they they they. I mean, in my opinion, they were trying to be too competitive and being super close to the other conventions and, and like, smack in the middle of convention season. So I was like, well, I can skip that, you know, because Toronto Comic Con is about a panic for people and it's already established. And afterwards, I want to go out of the city for a convention or whatever, maybe in the spring. Um, so I just think they picked a wrong time. Well, and table space, I heard, for Wizard World was pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah, from what I heard, the people who... Uh, were participating within the convention weren't happy. Yeah. The tabling and the results and, and everything. But yeah, so I, I just started uh, getting back to your question. Yeah. I just I just started recording videos because I could. And at the time I was like, hey, sexy man, will you edit my videos for me? Put them up on this website? And he's like, which website? And I was like, I don't know, pick one. Um, and so we started doing videos on Vimeo um, because it's like the artist version of YouTube. Um, slightly off the beaten path, uh, and it's in a, in a sense like alternative formats, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I was like, yeah, that's, that's the cooler way to go. So I did a couple, I did a couple interviews at that convention, um, and I, I did a couple different types of videos too, and I found, uh, especially after they were uploaded and I got feedback from people. First off, I'm, I'm pretty good at being on camera. I've got a lot of charm. I'm a personable person, so... You have, a, you have a face for camera, for sure. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> um, I know this sounds like I'm really full of myself, but this is also just what people tell me. And you got to yeah. understand your own strengths sure. in order to capitalize on that. So, um, And also, I just I really enjoyed that. You know, just being able to ask anything within those 10 minutes and get some really interesting answers and some really interesting stories. So you would just do your interviews, like, table-side at, at conventions? Yeah, most of, I mean, you can check them out. Um, yeah. um, most of them are now on my YouTube channel, but a bunch are still on my Vimeo. I'm, in the next couple months, I'm, I'm hoping to migrate all my Vimeo ones yeah. to YouTube just because there's a larger audience there. And How did you find, like, getting permission or from the conventions or whatever like did you just apply for a media pass and you got them pretty easily or well because i had already been uh doing event coverage through t.comics i I had already gotten press passes before so it's just the same type of thing um and because you know you're already in the the media section of the the convention Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter right so uh it's just about getting the artists um, and most of them, like, I can't even think of one that was like, no. The only the only times was, like, when people were at conventions or like, listen, I got a bunch of commissions to do today. I would love to talk to you for 10 minutes, but I have to be drawn because people, you know, they're, they're waiting for their schedules. And it's like, you know, like, I understand. Totally. So it was pretty easy, you know. Um, it was just sort of like, this is something I want to do. And then I just sort of jumped into it. Um, and then I had done a couple interviews on my Vimeo uh, channel, and I was, uh, you know, hanging out more and more with Sean Ward. And he was, at the time, doing his Sean Ward show. And I was like, yo, if you need any help, let me know. Because I um, recognize that not only is Sean a super cool person and way fun to hang out with, but he's, he's producing stuff. He's constantly making stuff. He's constantly on social media. Like, I admired that, and I wanted to emulate it. And so I was like, yo, let me help you out on your show. And sort of like, Yeah, <laughs> sort of see what you do, so I can I can do my stuff better. At the time, Sean started working with Hearth TV. Um, and he was like, listen, I, you know, and at this point, we had, I already helped him out on a couple of uh, his, his shows, and 
we've been friends for a while, and he's like, listen, I have this studio space, I have this equipment, do you want to do a show? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And we just did it. And we threw it together within, like, a couple weeks of that conversation. We started filming shows weekly. Um, and it was a little rocky at first. Like, I, I really, I really hate the first episode, not for anything other than my performance, because I'm super nervous, and it's so, so very obvious on the show that uh, I just, like, was frazzled just completely frazzled and like i feel bad for the people that i interviewed uh uh eugene and kimberly because it's not my best interview and i had done interviews before and like i'm so very hard on myself when it comes to this stuff but as uh, the weeks got uh, went on we developed a real flow for it and i got some really interesting people in the studio and some uh opportunities came up what'd you get what, what started to happen um Probably the pinnacle of like the awesomeness within the first season of Essential Comics was uh, I, I interviewed Chris Hardwick, the nerdist. Nice. And now, while well, he's, he's not everywhere, yeah, wow. he's not super big in Canada, but this is before his show came on TV and stuff and whatnot. And now he's huge all over the place. Um, and at the time, he was he was still a big personality. He had had his book out already. And my friend uh, Ian Atlas, who does uh, stuff at the, like really interesting shows at the Comedy Bar, we, we became friends during his Nerdgasm run with Gabby Stevens. Um, I went to Nerdgasm a bunch of times. Yeah. The Andre Aruda sort of. Yeah. Kind of, those, yeah, yeah it was like one of my first um, events that yeah, like we did nice and covered and stuff. stuff. That was that was really good stuff back in the day. Um, but yeah, he let me know that they were coming into town, and I was like, listen. I will do whatever it takes to get this interview. I will volunteer with you at the show all weekend. And I did. Um, so originally he was like, oh, we're going to do your interview after the space interview. So I, I took off work after lunch and uh, I met, them up at, uh, with, met up with them at space. And after the space interview, Chris was just tired. He wanted to get back to his hotel room. So Ian's like, yo, can we do it tonight before the show? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we went to the show that night, and it was, like, the only night that year that it was, like, a snowstorm. It was, like, crazy. So things ended up going slower than planned, and we couldn't do it before the show. And Ian's like, well, maybe we'll do it in between the shows, because we had two shows that night, or Chris had two shows that night. Yeah. Um, and in between the show, there was just this huge lineup of people asking for a signature and stuff. Now, the really cool part about all this is that during... All this waiting, I'm sitting with Chris Hardwick and we're chatting. And while I had studied and prepared for this interview for a month, and I was super friggin' nervous because I just ended up hanging out with him a little bit before. And he'd be like, "Hey, Alice, you want to take a picture of me and these guys?" We're like, you know, like, "Yeah, sure." And, and because I was able to do that, I, I got comfortable. But the actual interview ended up taking place at two o'clock in the morning. Okay. After, after I spent it, spent all day working, uh, volunteering for the show, and I was just super happy with it. Um, I mean, there's obviously things you pick at. There's a bunch of things I hate about my videos that I know nobody else can see. Like whenever I, I'm I'm viewing a video and I say um, I want to like throw something at the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it's a it's a real performer thing too because like. When I do my interviews, it's it's ten minutes. I like to do it uncut. I like to get you know the little bits in between and the anecdotes and the stories that run on. Um, and you get really, I find I get really good material and really interesting stuff when people are just sort of put on the spot. And I, I like the feel of that uncutness where the viewer feels like they're getting the whole thing. So um, that was definitely one of my pinnacles. Um, what did you guys talk about? Just stuff that he was doing? And um, stuff that he was doing, I, I researched a lot of it, and the other thing was I was listening to The Minstrel Show, which mm -hmm. uh, an album by Little Brother, and he was the host yeah. on it, and I talked to him about it, and he's like, yo, where did you find that? Down the rabbit hole? And at the time, I didn't pick up on it, and then later I was like, damn it, I should have been like, yeah, Alice! Yeah, I try to do that Nardware thing where like I try to um, find a question that nobody else has asked before or, or, you know, just try to bring something original to the table because, you know, everyone wants 
everyone asks the same questions about, oh, you know, what's your new comic? When are you come out yeah, of that? Yeah, for sure. But to ask, you know, what was in your mind when you draw that, when you do that specific panel yeah. that is so influential or whatever? Um, so that's what I try to try to bring. Which is what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get deeper. We're trying to. So then, so then now, like, where, where are you at with that sort of thing? I, like, your big thing last year that I would have loved to have known about, but I knew about it when it already happened, was the, was the Chris Claremont signing, the big, you know, X-Men <laughs> legend guy. So, and I was like, blast! But of course, Alice gets, gets an interview with him and everything. So, so how was that? Like, that was a thing that happened at Silver Snail, right? It was, like, a Silver Snail um, signing? <clears throat> no, what happened was, like, um, I have to give you a bit of background on this. Sure. So I'm going to go back a little further. Um, so I did the show with Sean Ward. We okay. did it for about, we did 21 episodes over, like, I guess, like, 24 weeks. And I was totally burnt out after that. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to rethink the show. Because at the time, it was sort of like a variety show where we did news at the beginning. But then I was like, yo, people don't watch it until, like, years later. And then local releases and news are, like, meaningless. So I had this whole idea of how I was going to do it and, like, introduce new people to it. Um, and in the meantime, I didn't really do anything. <laughs> I took a break. I went to Israel with my family. And then that winter, I got laid off uh, from, like, a steady full-time position I was working for like a year and a half and I was totally sidelined um by that and later on that summer this guy messaged me on Facebook being like hey you came by the shop a couple times um I really like your stuff on Facebook and I, I like your your website and your come work for me at my comic book shop and I was like yeah why not so I started working at Dr. Comics, right. and that's where they had the Chris Claremont. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he he was like, listen, you know, I I met this guy at a convention, and I was like, yo, when I have my comic book shop, you're going to come, and you're going to do a signing. And Chris Claremont was like, yeah, sure. Um, and so then he opened the comic book shop, and we had a Chris Claremont signing, and it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And... I didn't actually end up getting to interview him just because we had so many people in that shop today. Yeah. Like, it was so busy. I, think that, really I think that really put Dr. Comics on the map. I think yeah. that was really the thing where I'm like, Dr. Comics? What the hell? And that's that's sort of the shop that's in the sort of Kensington Market yeah. sort of neighborhood, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was awesome. But then... You got to interview, like, Bill Willingham before that, right? At, at Silver Snow? Yeah. That, that was, was another one where I'm like, oh, my God. That was really cool. It, it's the stuff that happens when you use Twitter. Um, and I know I say that, and people are, like, rolling their eyes as they're listening to this. But it, it really, it, it happens. So I started using Twitter, and they're like, listen, you got to follow people to get followers. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I followed all these comics people, these artists, people who said they liked comics. And... Um, eventually I gained a following of people because, you know, I tweet about comic stuff and I share articles about comics. And, you know, now I have, like, almost 3,000-something followers-ish. Nice. nice. Whatever. Yeah. It's just a thing. So, here I am tweeting about how much I love Fables because I've loved Fables since 2004 when I first read it and totally got into it. And then Bill Willingham writes back. I was like, oh my god, guys, Bill Willingham just tweeted at me, and we ended up having this conversation, and there's a couple awkward points to it where, I mean, at some point I had had a bad in interaction with someone where I was talking to them through social media about their comics and stuff, and they thought I was hitting on them, um, and, you know, as a young, attractive person, you know, I should be used to that, but it makes me really awkward and I don't know what to say, and it's just like, what? Um, so at one point I was like, you know, he's like, you know, when I'm in Toronto, I'll have to grab a drink, and I was like, yeah, platonically, and then he made this huge big deal out of it, like, <laughs> I, like he was a creepy old man, and I was shoving him off, and I was like, oh my god, I can't even feel like I'm joking like this with Bill Willingham, I was freaking out so much. <laughs> um, and he's like, listen, next time I'm in Toronto for serious, we'll do an interview. It sounds, you know, and I'm like, that's, that's awesome, I'm totally down. And he's like, uh, you know, 
uh, talked to my, my secretary, my, my assistant, and I didn't realize at the time that Stephanie, who I had already talked to several times over Twitter, was his assistant. And I was like, oh, Stephanie, Cookie, how you, oh my god. So, um, <laughs> the next time he came to Toronto, I, uh, I got to, I got to interview him. It's like, baby, Cookie. <laughs> Stephanie, it's awesome. Yeah, Stephanie Cookie, it's, it's a, it's a thing. Part of her username, I just think of Stephanie Cookie, but it's, it's one of those things that's in my head, probably, not everybody else's head, but... So that's, that's so good, like, so then, so you guys just talking about the comic, that sort of thing. Do you think that Once Upon a Time is a ripoff of Fables? When I first started watching it, I did think so. Yeah. Um, but in a sense, the, the same type of fairy tale retelling has been around for a really long time. Sure. Um, in the first seven episodes of Once Upon a Time, it was very, very similar to Fables. But since then, it's varied in, in many ways. Um, and it's not just because it's different than Fables. It's because it's a product of um, ABC's owned by Disney. Yeah, yeah. So they had, like, Mulan in it. Yeah, like, they're allowed. Mulan is not, like, a yeah, classical yeah. princess. But it's, but it's good because they're allowed to use the names that everybody rec- recognizes. Because, I mean, like it or not... You know, like Jiminy Cricket is a, is a thing to people right now. Yeah. Because of Disney. Yeah, so um, I don't think, I, like, uh, beginning at the time, I thought, you know, oh man, this is ripping off of Fables. But since then, you know, in the three seasons of Once Upon a Time, I've religiously watched. Yeah, um, it's, it's very different. This year, I'm trying to stretch myself and doing different things I'm not super comfortable with. And one of the things for T.Comics I found is because I write for myself, it's like, eh. I'll finish this article later, and I have a lot of like half draft articles where it's like this is no longer relevant. I cannot post this now. Or yeah, deadlines help. For that. Deadlines help. They get you thinking. Yeah. And, so I and decided on task um, and stuff like that. Yeah. No. I, I I talked with Melissa before, and she's super cool, and I really love the the stuff they have on there. And she has like super sweet perks. I'm like, yo, I want your perks. Um. <laughs> so I started uh, writing uh, Once Upon a Time. Uh, in Wonderland reviews for the Teledixon, and while it's not a super popular series, um, the advantage of doing something like that is because it's not super popular, I don't have a very super large audience, so while I'm learning how to do these episodic TV reviews, because I've only done comic reviews before, um, I have sort of my, my little playground to work in. Uh, this season, I'm hoping to get a bigger show. I'm talking to Melissa about doing... Uh, a bigger show, doing more episodic reviews, so I'm hoping that'll be something I do uh, more regularly, and it's been a lot of fun so far. Nice. That's right? definitely something that I've done. Uh, when I was working at Digital Spy, uh, I met a guy named Mike Moody from Austin, Texas. He was one of the writers. I, we still haven't actually met in person, so I sort of only met him sort of online kind of thing. And he started a site called TV Death Ray. And I started doing episodic reviews of like Mad Men and like No Ordinary Family for that. And then now he does Antenna TV, where he got a bunch of like working TV critics and me to do like not reviews or episodic reviews necessarily, but like commentary and different things on you know the shows that are out there now. Like well, I really like really go- going back going back to superheroes. When when Arrow just came back oh, like a week ago, oh my god! I did a thing on what Arrow can learn from, or what what Agents of Shield can learn from Arrow. Basically, saying that Arrow is kicking their ass, and here's why, and here's what Agents of Shield is not doing that Arrow is doing. First off, like I'm I'm a Stop me from going off on a tangent. I know I do this. Okay. Um, I'm a huge TV fan as much as I love comics, and I do. I'm I'm a TV addict. I watch it religiously. I watch it over and over um, to the point where it's kind of ridiculous. TV taught me all the time. I knew it was for a plot for the girl program. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's why. <laughs> uh, and the problem now is that because we have the internet and we can pretty much watch everything on demand without commercials whenever we wanted to. So it's like, I'm just gonna marathon six episodes of Arrow and nobody can stop me. And that's, that's, that's totally how it goes. Yep. Um, but I totally agree with you. I'm very, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here. I'm very disappointed with Agents of Shield. Um, I did this thing with Arrow last season where I watched the first episode. I thought it was garbage. 
stopped watching it. I came back six episodes later and marathoned it, and I was like, Oh my god, this is amazing! <laughs> and while they don't, it's not perfect, they started it off where they threw too much on the board at once. The first episode, it was like, Wait, here's the family, but the mother's, she's betrayed them, and the son, he was on an island, and now the, and the sister's like a crazy drug addict, and I was like, Whoa, too much trauma all at once. And you do know the characters and love them before I accept their vigilante <laughs> killing behavior as like, oh, no big deal. Um, because he was already killing people in the first episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I was like, yo, that's like not heroic. <laughs> Just saying. Um, whereas I watched uh, the first episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. and at the beginning I was hopeful. I was like, oh, hey, look, they're, they're starting with, you know, a down on his left black guy as a protagonist and they're <laughs> going to turn him into a hero. And at the end of the episode, they're like, no, He's a crazy, um, me- pretty much meteor freak, harking back to Smallville. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm not going to watch the show if it's going to be Freak of the Week. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. And so I haven't. And nothing that people have told me about it has made me, like, has convinced me enough to watch it. There has been a couple people who approached me and been like, oh yeah, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's so awesome. But the majority of it are like, no, it's not good. It gets worse every week. And they, the problem is, it's like, they have all these like lesser known heroes, and where Arrow is bringing everyone in and contemporizing them, and there are references to existing villains and and, and, and existing heroes and existing people. Agents of Shield just Marvel refuses to play in their own universe, and every character except for like one cameo by Samuel Jackson and like. And Agent Coulson, who isn't even part of the comic book universe, is part of the film universe. They just, they, every character is original to the series. So I can't care about them because I want to see, like, the TV interpretation of, you know, fill in the blank, lesser known Marvel hero. I think it really has to do with the fact that they're, they're making a TV show companion to a movie series. And the sole reason that Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a TV show is to, continue your love of this universe long enough for the event, new Avengers movie to come out for you to buy that ticket. Yeah. And it, 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 it's so just... They don't want to introduce anything new. So it just... It, it, and it also feels like they're holding their breath because they don't know which characters should be introduced, which characters are going to become canon in the comics, which characters are people like. We don't know, so let's just throw a bunch of new characters yeah. on there every week and we'll see what sticks. Yeah. Which um, is trapped in licensing, which who's going to sue us, blah, 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 blah. Um, and also, the other thing is because Joss Whedon is wrapped up in making the new Avengers movie and all the other projects that, you know, doing Avengers has opened up for him, you know, he's not really involved in that creative vision. Um, so it doesn't really have that feel, and it feels like more the characters... I mean, granted, all I have to go on is that first episode, but it was like, oh, here are the token nerdy scientists with accents, you know? Yeah. And they're they're not going to have any real character development until halfway through the season when one of them develops a love interest, but wait, that love interest happens to be a supervillain or gets captured by a supervillain. Yeah. It's like, I can totally guess these things before they happen, and that's the problem I have, because I watch so much TV that I can totally yeah. see where it's going. Um, and maybe it's just because Arrow is a CW show, and I got to, I get to see a lot of shirtless men. Um, and they, you know, that's the kind of thing I dig. I, I like that when I'm watching a show. And also, because they, they do that Smallville thing of bringing in Characters we know, like Huntress and Black Canary, yeah. bring them in for a couple episodes so we can see how they play along. Deathstroke, uh, and it's even just, like it's the... so cool. That was my favorite part of Smallville is when I was watching something and it was like, oh yeah, I know who that character is. Yeah. I feel cool because I'm in on that yeah, universe. Yeah, totally. And I had to explain it to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but even yes. like I don't know, like Blackhawk, they've brought in Royal Flush Gang is not floating around on playing cards. They are a motorcycle bank robbing family. Isn't that, isn't that DC? Yeah, yep. they're all DC. Oh, are they bringing Royal Flush Gang? I haven't seen. There's the there's an episode in the first season where Royal Flush Gang comes in I didn't even as a that. as a motorcycle riding bank robbing family with with like playing cards suits on their helmets. 
so you know who is ace and who is king and who is queen and that sort of stuff. So, so now, now that you're like basically like the Toronto scene journalist, like you're you're like the de facto person that everybody go, that everybody goes to to cover the Toronto scene. I mean, I want to sort of get your impressions of what do you think of the scene and like seeing its evolution because you're everywhere. You've got your finger on the pulse of like everything that happens for a number of years. So what do you think of where the Toronto scene is now? And, you know, have you seen it evolve in, in a bunch of different yeah. ways? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still feel like uh, I'm just a newbie in, in, in many ways. I've only been you're on the scene for like five, six years or whatever, even though it feels like a lifetime. But already so many things have changed, you know, at the time that I've been on the scene, uh, Wizard World Con uh, bought Paradise, and yeah. they announced they're coming here to, they're not going to do any more shows here at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, Within and, like a year, basically. And while I was, you know, while I've been on the scene, there's been a bunch of comic shops that have you know, unfortunately closed their doors, and a bunch of other shops that have opened up. Um, and it's just, it's really intriguing because it's constantly changing there's there's so much movement there's so many amazing people who are creating comics in toronto and so many people behind the scenes who are you know doing book launches who are doing publicity and who do websites or or people who just do web comics you know and it was really cool because while i've been here i got to meet ryan north would need dinosaur comics, and that was it. And I was like, yo, you're super cool, but way too tall. We can never be in a shot together. Um, and then a couple of years later, talking to him at a party, and he's, you know, he's telling me, oh, yeah, I just got signed to write the Adventure Time comics, and I was freaking out. Um, and I, I still have to get an interview with him about that because it's been so cool. So it's, it's just, um, there's been so many changes, but most of it's really been for the best. I feel like... The best stuff, I mean, for the most part, the best stuff rises to the top and distinguishes itself, not only amongst the local community, but amongst the global comic community. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who are, are really making waves now, we started off, you know, I, I met them at a con once and they were at a small table and they didn't have anything on there, are now right, uh, drawing uh, Marvel Marvel Knights Spider-Man. Like yeah, Marco like Marco Rudy. He was in here just a couple weeks ago. I love that guy. So people like Marco, like th- there's guys like Andy and Ramon winning the Eisner. I that mean, was super cool. I mean, Toronto is killing it. Guys, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's Darwin too. Like these guys, that's why I'm doing the podcast because there's so many guys that went directly from Artist Alley, struggling, doing their own self-published stuff, to now they're like living the dream. Right. Yeah, and chasing deadlines, and you never see them because they're always in the studio drawing. Um, can I can I just tell you a little anecdote about Darwin Cook? Sure. I was at a, a tea cafe one year. I think it was 2011. Not 100 sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, and I was like, "Yo, who's that old guy?" <laughs> and they're like, "That's Darwin Cook." And then I instantly choked on my words and had a panic attack and needed a paper bag to breathe. And I was like, "Okay." I'm just gonna I'm gonna go out and dance and maybe drink a little more and then get rid of all my inhibitions and maybe I'll say hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's really funny because people come up to me and they're they're really excited or like you know in in the past people have come up to me and they're really excited and they're like I really love the stuff you do. How do you have the confidence? How do you how do you not choke up? And and the funny thing is I do. <laughs> I choke up all the time. I'm like oh my god. I'm in the presence of comics royalty. How can I ever say a word? Um, but, you know, eventually I get over that and look at my notes. Do you just, do you just <laughs> pretend that they're not famous? Or just regular people? Or? No, I, I do the opposite. I pretend like I'm famous. Uh, and like, I'm I'm totally hot shit and I'm worthy of being in the room with them. Yeah. And just just go for it. Um, nice. And that's, that's the beauty of doing 10-minute no-cut interviews is you can just... Alright, it's recording. You can say whatever you want to say. You can ask whatever daring questions you want to ask, no matter how obscure. And, like, you know, they're on the spot. They're going to answer. Maybe they'll take a couple seconds and, mm, um, well. But it's, it's awesome. And, yeah. you know, it, it, 
it's surprising how receptive and how personable these people are once, you know, you get, you know, you get five minutes to chat with them alone. For sure, for sure. No, I, I've definitely experienced that myself. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, that's amazing. Like, just, I just want to sort of get your sense. This is sort of the last place that I want to go. It's like, um, now that you are essentially like Toronto's homegrown comics journalist covering this, what do you think of the whole world of comics journalism? I mean, to me, I've been trying to break into it for a long time, like the main sites like CBR, Comfort Resources, and Miserata, and it's always seemed like way harder to break into the niche media than the main than the mainstream media and. and in comics, like I've been doing coverage for other new posts about comics and stuff, but when I want to go into like a niche media, it's like it's like really hard. It, they seem very insular and that sort of thing. And I, I'm sure you've covered events where these people, where these comic journalist people are, and you're competing with them for for time and interviews and that sort of thing. So, what is your sense of the, this sort of comic journalism idea? Is comic journalism like a real thing? Um, I think it's a thing, but I think it's in, in many niche industries, it's about who you know mm-hmm. and how personable you are and how you get yourself in there. Now, I've never tried to get, to submit articles to CBR and Newsarama and Comic Brian or any of that places just because um, I, I started out big, uh, so small. I started out thinking, you know, like, I'm the only one who really cares. I'll just do it on my own and then become something and become something, whatever. And it did, in, a, in, a, in many ways it did, and um, because I've always sort of worked on my own and I've always sort of set my own pace and been like, this is, I'm going to just do what I want to do. I want to make videos now, so that's, that's just what I'm going to do. Um, and I don't have any money, but whatever, I'll figure it out. I'll get, I'll get sponsorships mm-hmm. or whatever. So, in many ways I've never had that obstacle because I've never taken that chance and written these people and been like, hey, I want to write for you guys. Um, but in my own way, I've been able to do so much because reaching out directly to the comic book creators, they're they're totally, totally into it. They, you know, you're going to talk about their comic, they don't care if you have 20 viewers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll send you a review copy, they'll, they'll talk to you, they'll, you know, they'll answer your questions sure. because... Um, as big as the industry is, it's it's still only a fraction of the other major medium industries out there, music, TV, movies. So we all just really got to help each other out. So for that, in that sense, then, you know, it's it's just about the community and where you fit in. It. Well, and that's the thing about the Toronto community, too, is that they're so interested in helping each other out and, like, like it doesn't matter how big or how small you are as a creator working in Toronto, like everybody's willing to sort of help each other and put their time in and you know do what they can for each other. And sort of thing. Yeah, it's really cool. And like, um, in some ways, it's amazing the the patience and the determination that people have in, in different senses. Because um, right after I wrapped my first season of Quintessential Comics, I was like, you know what? I have really big ideas for what I'm going to do for the next season, but I don't want to air anything until I have it sorted out. And that was about a year ago. And now I sort of have it sorted out. Sort of. Um, I'm, I'm learning to edit my own videos and, and do everything essentially on my own and learning, relearning how to do YouTube better. And all these people that I interviewed a year and a half ago aren't, you know, calling me up being like, hey, we did an interview and never aired it. WTF? Yeah. Like they understand, and everyone's sort of cool with it, um, which is super awesome. And, and now that when I do air the interviews, I can also be like, oh, but by the way, that comic we talked about that was going to come out here it is. So that's cool, and and everyone's sort of forgiving, and everyone understands that you know we're all just trying to make the community better in some shape or form, whether it be promoting comics or doing a book signing or being an inker or a penciler, you know, like we all have a smart part. And even fans, like they, they contribute so much they have no idea. Yeah, for sure. So. That's a perfect place to end. Uh, is, I just want to know sort of, is there anything you want to plug and, you know, where can people find you and, uh, and look at your stuff? 
Cool. Well, um, right now, I'm the Alice Quinn on pretty much everything. You can check out my website, alicequinn.net, which is sort of a portfolio overview of all my stuff, and there's links to everything there. You can also find me on YouTube, Quintessential Comics, uh, and that's got two N's and an X, because... Because... Because I'm Alice Quinn, and so it's spelled with two N's, Quintessential. Yeah. And then comics... Uh, with an X is an homage to the 70s underground uh, indie scene scene of comics. Um, And it's super hard to spell, and eventually I will figure out how to shorten it to QCX Show, which is is on uh, Twitter, Um, but it will be on YouTube eventually. So yeah, so that's where you can find me. That's awesome. And And T.Comics. T.Comics? Yeah. uh, I'm going to change up the site to just be events, because... My interests have just changed yeah, over totally. the course of years. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but you took me out there. Let cool. me know what you think. Well, thanks for coming in, Alice. And, thanks for having uh, me. So, uh, so, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see you next time and we'll see who we can get in here on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.